I would like us to open our Bibles, our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, Luke 1 and verse 5, Luke 1, verse 5, chapter 1 and verse 5. Okay, I have it unfolded here as well. Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. And uh, we are continuing with the seven characteristics of a godly mother series. We're almost coming to a close. Alright, so Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. And we're looking at Elizabeth today. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. This is what the Bible says here. There was, a, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Heavenly Father, we give Thee thanks, Lord, for the blessing of Thy Word. I pray, Lord, it would be a blessing to Thy people, Lord, today as I preach it. Give me the unction to preach, Lord. Give me the wisdom. Give me the words. Give me, uh, give me the clarity as well, Lord, to preach, as I would have you to preach to Thy people here today. Lord, I ask, Lord, that I would decrease and Thou increase for the remainder of this service. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray, Amen. 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 So, we're looking at the sixth characteristic here today. And the previous five characteristics that we looked at were these. A godly mother is a generous mother. Again, we're recapping here. A godly mother is a generous mother. And uh, the example, and again, this is a character series. The example is a Shunammite woman. And what do we know about the Shunammite woman? What have we learned? What have we learned? We learned. What was Yes, absolutely. So she's unnamed. She was an unnamed woman. Unnamed woman. Yet, you know, she had quite an influence. Um, and, and God called her a great woman. A great woman. She's the only woman in the Bible who is described as a great woman. Yet, she is unnamed. Unnamed in the Bible. And again, when you read that, you realize uh, it, it really lends credence. Not that we need to prove the book. We believe it as Christians. That this book here, this King James Bible, the Bible, uh, is, is from God. It's of divine origin, inspiration, because uh, it was merely written uh, by men as, as the lost and, and, and uh, the skeptics would claim, then a description of a great woman or a great man would often have a name attach, attached to it, and that name itself would become great. And I've often used the illustration of Wayne Gretzky in the NHL. In his playing days, he was known as the Great One. But you, if anyone mentioned who the Great One was, you, all, you often knew who it was, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky, and quite frankly, that's quite a lofty title for, any, for someone who is just merely a hockey player, to be quite frank. You know, it's a lofty title. And obviously, he, he lacked in humility. Otherwise, he would have come out and said, you know what? I'm just a hockey player. I score a lot of goals. I, I make a lot of assists, and I win, I win, uh, I win uh, awards at the end of the year. But I, you know, I'm just a hockey player. And in the end, there's no eternal value 
to being a professional NHLer. There's no eternal value to to to, uh, to supporting uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and hoping they win the Super Bowl. Uh, there's no eternal value in any of these things. It's just bread and circuses. It's a distraction. And if you are a preacher or a pastor and you're fully given over to that, I will say that you're not only compromised, but your congregation now will be com compromised because now they view it as acceptable to be fully given over to this idolatry and discuss it at length. And we've got to be careful. And I'm not talking about watching five-minute highlights here. I'm talking about being fully immersed about it, immersed into it, talking about who will win the MVP, uh, and then getting into kind of banter with other preachers over their favorite football team or their favorite basketball team and so on and so forth. And uh, that will take you away from God. I've mentioned it before. There is nothing in neutral. What you, uh, what you read, what you listen to, what you watch... Um, and even what you wear is not in neutral. There's nothing in neutral here. It will, it will affect you spiritually. It either bring, draw you closer to God or away from God. You have to understand, many preachers have a lot of head knowledge, but that doesn't always reflect what's in their heart. It doesn't. It doesn't. So anyway, a godly mother is a generous mother, and that's the Shunammitess. And uh, she, was a, she was also a very hospitable woman as well. Uh, it's from that account that we get the, uh, the prophet's chamber, right? Uh, today, you know, it's, it's usually a, a dwelling, you know, usually attached to a church building where guest preachers and missionaries and so on and so forth can come in and stay. And uh, that's where we get it from. So whenever the man of God, Eli uh, Elisha, was in town, he had a place to stay. In fact, she constrained him. She said, no, 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 no. When you are in town, you're coming here. And when you are in town, I will have a place set for you to sleep. I'll have a place set aside for you to study. I'll have it all. And I'm going to feed you. That's hospitality, indeed. Then we have the godly mother. The godly, uh, oh, sorry, godly mother is a praying mother. The praying mother, Hannah. And I cover that over six parts. Hannah, what a praying mother she was. And just think, if you go to chapter 2, after she promised to lend young Samuel to the Lord, and she wouldn't see him that often after that. So imagine a mother literally letting him to the Lord and not being able to see her child, which she had weaned. And how difficult that would be for a mother. She prays, a prayer of praise to God. Wow. Wow. A godly mother is a God-fearing mother, Jochebed, Moses' mother. A godly mother is a submissive mother, Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, the earthly mother, right? Uh, and of course, we could use other women, but we used her as an, ex as a, as an illustration there. And she was a submissive woman. She submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Right? She was submitted to him because she knew she was a godly mother. A godly mother is a teaching mother, Eunice. We can even use Lois, who was the grandmother of Timothy, Pastor Timothy. And Andrew, Timothy was the pastor of what church? Ephesus. You got it. There we go. I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, the pastor... 
Who is a pastor of the church at Crete? Brad? That would be Titus, of which uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, the epistle to Titus was written. He was a, and what did he call the Cretans? Don't answer, ladies. <laughs> what, did, what, were they, what were they called? Oh, you preachers that use our name callers. What did he call them? Slow bellies. Look that one up. Slow bellies. <laughs> there, there is such thing as sanctified name calling. I firmly believe that. The Bible teaches that. Well, Jesus is a perfect example, Paul. So those are the, the five characteristics that we have looked at. The six that we're going to look at today is that a godly mother is a righteous mother. A righteous mother, Elizabeth. Now, to clarify this, when one repents and believes the gospel, receives the Lord Jesus Christ as his or her Savior, he is made righteous through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed abundantly on Calvary's cross. All of you here who are born again have been made righteous. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is imputed unto you at the new birth, through the new birth. You are wearing His righteousness. So I can honestly say as a preacher, the righteousness that I possess is the righteousness given to me through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is His righteousness. Is his righteousness. The world said, well, you guys think that you are, are better than everyone else. You guys think that you're more holy and more righteous than everyone else. No. If I am, it's because of His righteousness that's been imputed, imputed onto my account. I am wearing it right now. I am clothed in it. And I live by it. And I strive to live by it. Amen? Amen. So we are clothed with His righteousness. Romans 5, verses 17 through 19 says this, For by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which, which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. It's a parenthetical there, the end of it. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men, that's Adam, to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We are made righteous by the perfect obedience to the Father's will of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are made righteous through His shed blood. Amen. So this is known as the doctrine of imputed righteousness, which means that Christ's righteousness has been ascribed to every believer. It is His righteousness that we possess and not our own. Romans 4, verses 22. Let's turn there. I'll have you turn to a few verses. Romans 4 and verse 22. It is His righteousness that we possess and not our own. Brother David, there's some preaching points there. The righteousness that you possess is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are clothed in it. It was purchased for you at Calvary's cross. Romans 4, verse 22. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. This is speaking now. He's talking about Abraham here. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
If, right, there's a condition there. Do you? Do you believe that he uh, believe on him, God the Father, raised him up, raised Jesus of our Lord from the dead, do you? I, I trust you do. If not, you're, you're yet in your sins and you're on your way to hell. Verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Right? We are justified through his resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Second Corinthians five and verse twenty-one. Second Corinthians five verse twenty-one. The scripture saith, "For he hath made him Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him." Amen. And then Philippians three and verse nine. Paul talking here under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. See, that's what the world fails to see. All oh, the Bible was just written by men. Well, God used men to write his word. Absolutely, 40 men approximately to pen his word, but it was divinely inspired. And be found in him, the Bible says, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Through the faith of Christ. Righteousness which is God by faith. Amen. It's His righteousness. It's been imputed unto us. A godly mother is a righteous mother. We can say that a godly mother is a righteous mother. The righteous mother or woman from the Bible that we will be looking at is Elizabeth. The mother of John the Baptist. So what do we know about Elizabeth? This begs a question. What do we know about her? Well, we know that she came from a good home, or at the very least, a godly heritage. We know this because the Bible tells us that she was of the daughters of Aaron, a priestly, a priestly lineage, meaning that she was a priest's daughter. That's what it says. She was a Levite of Levitical heritage. We know that Elizabeth was married to Zacharias. For the scriptures say that she, had, she and her husband were well stricken in years. This means that they were old. They weren't young. We also learn that she was barren and old. Yep, she was barren in her old age prior to giving birth to John the Baptist. When Zacharias was in the temple giving an offering to the Lord, Gabriel the angel appeared to him and said that he and Elizabeth would soon be parents and that they were to name the baby John. He was told that John would grow up to be, quote, from the Bible, verse 15, great in the sight of the Lord, and that he shall have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Verse 14, Luke 1, by the way. Now, considering the fact that he and his wife were old, Zacharias doubted Gabriel's message. Does that happen to you, friends? The Word of God plainly tells you this will happen. But you look at the circumstances in front of you and say, Lord, how? I know you promised it, but how? It happens, right? There's times when we do doubt God. By the way, the Bible says that whatever is not of faith is sin. Think about it. 
His doubt and unbelief brought the judgment of God upon him, and he was left dumb, unable to speak until the birth of his son John. Luke chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 says this, And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife, my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. Glad tidings? Good news. That's what the gospel is. Good news. It's glad tidings. Indeed. These glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not be and not able to speak until that these things shall be performed. Why? Because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. You're doubting God, you're heaping unto him judgment. Absolutely. Right? You're an old man. See, nothing's impossible with God. Amen. Right? Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth were old, barren, without children. The angel comes, literally sent from God and says, you know what? You're going to bear a son, John the Baptist. By the way, the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what does the Bible say? Uh, says, what does the Bible describe concerning him? That there's not even a greater prophet before him? Wow. Wow. And he's saying, oh, I'm old though. Really? Really? I'm having a hard time accepting this. Yeah? Nothing is impossible with God. Amen. We limit God too much. Why? Because we, we're, 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 our, our perspective, if you will, often is, is, is based on what we see in front of us. So if it goes beyond, if it, especially if it's something that's supernatural that only God can do, it becomes hard for us to believe. It's weird, yet you trust literally the Lord Jesus Christ to save you and the miracle of the death, burial, and resurrection well, the resurrection from the dead itself the resurrection from the dead is a miracle unto itself who else has been raised from the dead I mean, they claim it in Africa and some of these charismatic churches are, yeah, but, oh, I've raised the dead, yeah, right yeah, right continue on being the daughter of a priest, Elizabeth would have been reared around the things of God yeah, she would have been immersed in the things of God. She would have seen and been involved in the works of God. She would have been well-schooled in the law and thus have been saturated in the Scriptures and the Word of God. It would have been incorporated in the very fabric of her being, her daily life. She was blessed to have been raised with such a godly heritage. Many are. Many are blessed to be raised with such a godly heritage. Those of you here have come from that godly heritage are blessed. There's so many in this world today who are not blessed with that. To be blessed in the Christian home, serving God, being in church regularly. Don't take that for granted. Don't take it for granted. I'm even preaching to my children here. Don't take it for granted. They don't know what it's like to not be in church. They have no idea. I know what it's like. You know what it's like. You know what it's like. I never grew up in a Christian home. I mocked the Bible when I was a teenager. My mother got saved. And then she, then she said, the Bible teaches that he's God. I said, no, he's just a man. That's all I said. That's, all I, that's what I would tell her. 
my father's saying, you know what? Mind your mother. She's gone. She's lost her. Uh, she's lost her. You know her mind. That's when she got saved. That's when my dad said, I know mom's got. She's not herself anymore. That's what she. That's what she told me. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. But you know what? The spirit of God work was continually to work on me. And by the way, the seed of 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 the word of God that was planted in my heart happened before my mom got saved. You know, um, when I was in grade six, in our area there, they built a new Costco, by the way, over there, Rexdale. Um, in that neighborhood, there was a woman who is now with the Lord. I forgot her name. I don't know why I cannot remember it anymore. But she had a ministry. It was, she, it was basically the Bible club every Tuesday at 4 p.m. All the children in the neighborhood, basically, would be attending that. She had Bible class. She would be doing uh, initially the Bible felts because it included some of the younger ones, even from five to like the the preteens and the of my age, which I was a preteen then. And um, and she would she would have that. And I attended a few of those, and I remember being of a Jewish background myself. And she was going through the Book of Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea. And you know what? For the first time, I actually understood understood what it meant. From a Christian teacher. I didn't understand reading the Haggadah or any of that, but I understood it from a biblical perspective. And she gave me this book. I have it somewhere at home somewhere, I think. Probably have it stored away. Yeah. Yes, there's a little. And then she would take, uh, uh, at the end, she would take those of us who were a little bit older, and I would say like my age, I was how old, 11? Somewhere 12 there, up. And we'd go up into the dining room and she would go through the Bible and New Testament. I don't remember, but she would just make, maybe share the gospel and things like that. So that was her ministry. She was a member of uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance. And she had been a member of that church when it had some strength. You know, I mean, it was a Protestant church, but they were missionary-minded. At that time, from what I've learned, the pastor at that time was, was not, doesn't hold our position in the King James Bible, but preached out of it and used it. The next pastor, who was more intellectual, he, he had a he had a PhD, a PhD in some kind of, some kind of uh, physics or something. I can't remember what it was. And he allowed, and he got saved through the Youth for Christ. So he he brought in the modern versions. He uh, uh, his sermons were always intellectual and very little Bible in it. So it's more man's reasoning than actual biblical reasoning. And I remember visiting it in 2002. I was not a saved man, but I wanted to go to visit a church for some reason. And I went to it. And I remember uh, attending, attending that, a couple of services. One, and they had, uh, by the way, was, I invited Sister Carly. We went together. She was not saved at that time. And we um, went in there. And they had a missionary for one. That was fine. I was interested in what he had to say. But... The, the all the singing was off of a screen. A lot of like the Hillsong type songs, right? That sort of thing. And then they had a youth group sing, and they all had the electric guitars and all that. And they were singing a U2 song. Just changed the lyrics. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, but changed the lyrics into that. And that's that spoke to me. I said, "Wait a minute. Look, I I listened to this. I want to I want to come to something different. This is not different. It spoke to me. Absolutely." Absolutely. And then, if we go back, if we move forward now to 2005, well, 2004, I first visited Toronto Baptist Church in August. I finished work. I worked Sundays. I finished the vault. I came late, half an hour. 
uh, 2.30 because I finished at that time. I came, I walked right in, ripped jeans and a tight t-shirt. That's it. <laughs> walked right in. I was much skinnier then, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I was about 25 pounds lighter than what I am now. So I was kind of, I was actually quite skinny. So if you look at my boys, yeah, but not, not anymore. <laughs> my wife feeds me well. She's a good cook. <laughs> Amen. Amen, yeah. He does. I tell you what, though. And you better be saying that about your wife, too. I know. Wait until the Lord willing that he grants you children. I'm praying for that. I'd love to see that. Um, and, you, and you really subscribe to the biblical model of, of, of keeping the, of the home. Um, and God's going to provide. I'm going to tell you right now. He will provide. Um, and I, I've never, we've never gone without. Right? We don't, okay, from our perspective, um, we don't have, I don't have a large savings account. I really don't, to be quite frank. But we never go without. <laughs> we never miss a meal. Um, you know, and obviously the church has been a blessing. It's enabled me to actually, you know, have, extend the ministry too without, without concerns. You know, be quite frank, the blessing you've been to me, even giving me a gas allowance has been really, uh, it's enabled, it's, it's literally unshackled. So I wouldn't think twice if I've got to, if we, if we got to do some ministry or meet with the men and that and things like that, that's, that's where the blessing really lies. And, uh, by the way, thank you, uh, Mrs. Foreman, with the, with the financial report there. Uh, I, but I think we've been wise with the money we've used. Anyway, so... Although I will, I will let you know now, I'm thinking of getting some signs made for, for the street ministry. I am thinking. I'm going to keep you informed on that. So, I really would like to... We've had, we need to make some new ones in due time, Lord willing. Anyway, I don't want to get caught off uh, on, on a rabbit trail. I'm already on a rabbit trail now. So being the daughter of a priest, Elizabeth would have been reared around the things of God. And she was blessed with that godly heritage. She was. And some of you, some of you here have been blessed with that godly heritage. You have. Preacher's home. You have a lineage. Wow. Yeah. That's why, you know, yeah, I don't want to go, but it just, it, 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 it well, the current situation hurts that much more because it was there, regardless of compromise in the home, there was a strong godly heritage there, and that's, now God can override that, and I pray for that, I really want to see, I would love to see a situation, a bad situation that brings one, in this case, young lady to the, head, the end of her rope. Well, and I pray that God protects her wherever she's at right now and bring her to true repentance because out of that, I mean, you know, I mean, God can use, use, use her mightily and I firmly believe that regardless, you know. And it is painful because, you know, we, especially when you've seen it, I mean, you're a grandmother, but uh, Odette there, you've, you were there, witness, you were there at the birth. We've, what was that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought you were there. No, I was there, Mrs. Mossbacker. Yeah. Okay, so I got, oh, Mrs. Mossbacker, Charlotte was there. Okay, I got mixed up. But I know you had you'd attended. Uh, there were eight of them. Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, yeah, you know, it's, we've seen them grow up. 
right? It's just like you see my children grow up. You know, when many of you know when Jacob was a baby, you're holding him like this. Yeah. And my wife and I were much skinnier than we are now. <laughs> yeah. What was that? I had to throw her. <laughs> exactly. I had to include her in that. She was, though. You were, you were, you were perhaps even at one point too skinny. Okay. <laughs> She's like, oh boy, I can't, I can't imagine that home, that, that ride home. I can't imagine that ride home. Ain't gonna be pretty. <laughs> exactly. Who is that? She had the babies. What was your excuse? Exactly. <laughs> I. It's true. <laughs> she did. That. What was my excuse? Well, you know, she had you know. But while she was having the babies, my wife was cooking for me. <laughs> she gave me a lot of good food. <laughs> Archie knows about good food. Armenia, that's good food, by the way. I mean, that's right down my alley. The, the Armenian, the, uh, the Middle Eastern type cuisine, that's right down my alley. Now, now we go for a shawarma on a regular basis, don't we, after street preaching? The legendary size. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's in Proverbs. You can find it there. <laughs> made fat. I think that's, yeah. They that trust in the Lord shall be made fat, something to that effect. Yeah, that's what happens. You know, when you trust the Lord to feed you, you'll be made fat. Talk about taking it. What was that? Proverbs 11.20. 11.20. Getting off course here a little bit. <laughs> See, the liberal soul shall be made fat. There's another one, though. Yep, there's another one. That's one. There's another one there. That's, um, there's another one. Anyway, we're not going to look for it, but if you find it, fine. There's one. It's something to do trusting the Lord. It says, trusting the Lord shall be made fat. Given the much appetite. <laughs> All right. So Elizabeth was brought up in a godly home, in a godly with a godly heritage. That was a great blessing. However, this blessing comes with much, much expectation because much was given to her, spiritually speaking. Elizabeth was not an ignorant heathen, but was born into what we would call today a godly Christian home, where Jesus Christ had the preeminence and the Word of God was the focal point. Even the, her education would have been a Christian education, if you will, if we make a modern-day application. My children are receiving a Christian education where the Bible is in the forefront of it. This is what you're, you're seeing already. Whether you're teaching math, you can have the Bible in the forefront of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is why Mrs. Lamore's got her grammar. And it's saturated. It's basically based on the King James Bible. We should promote that more, really. We really need to promote that more. I really should get it out there myself. Not, not, to, not to build you up, but I mean, that's, that's me. That's really good stuff. Look at grammar. What was it from grade? What, what grades is it from? One through six, right the way through. 
grammar right through, and it's and it's based on the King James Bible, saturated. Yeah. Elizabeth was given much, and Jesus said this: "For unto whomsoever much is given, of much shall be." Of him, rather, shall much be required. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. Luke 12 and verse 48. So given her heritage, there is no doubt Elizabeth had a walk with God from an early age. From her youth, at least. As her parents would have been deeply involved with the things of God at the temple. She would have been immersed with the service of God. Understood what it was about. Lived it. Temple life would have been an intrinsic part of her life. For you, church life ought to be an intrinsic part of your life. Even with you over here, young children. Church life ought to be an intrinsic part of your life. Not something that you go to Sunday morning and Wednesday evenings. In fact, will I send something to you, to you guys, some of you here? Church should be the reason that you that you don't do anything else, if you will. What was it? I think I sent. Church should be the reason why you miss everything else. Exactly. Church should be the reason why you miss everything else. Absolutely, it should be the reason. And again, some of you here, and I'll preach it to you right now. If you can't tell your boss that church is important to you, there's a problem there. Who's more important to you, Jesus Christ or work? And you let them know, you know, I love my Savior. You know what, they're going to honor that. I did that. Just to let you know, I did that with my boss 18 years ago. And he honored it from that day. You know, they'll respect, and I understand, it's very hard to take a, for a woman to kind of take a hard-line stance. I understand that. But you have to let it know. You have to let them know. I need this hours, even if you have to go later, or leave to come to church and then go back. But you have to let them know. We fear man more than we fear God. Often, that's the reason. We fear man more than we fear God. That's the issue. That's really the, the issue behind this will fear the repercussions of man and what they will think because you can't visibly see God and you may not act upon uh, you may not act immediately you kind of take that for granted yeah. the Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare that's a trap, it's a net a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be what? safe Temple life would have been an intrinsic part of Elizabeth's life. We can liken this to children who have grown up in a Christian home where both parents have been faithfully serving God and not only that, but their grandparents were also faithfully serving God in their local churches. Church life was part and parcel of the very fabric of their being. Their church family was their extended family. As the pastor of this church, you're my friends and family. That's what you are. I'm closer to you than I am actually to actually extended family. I am. 
I have extended family that I haven't talked to in almost 10 years. And I don't care, I don't look to talk to someone my own age group. When I got saved, you know what, the, the men that spoke to me was Dr. Mossbacker, some of the older men. And the stories that they had to tell, missionary, a missionary to, to, to India, to the Philippines. In fact, before those, he planted a church in San Francisco. This man literally walked into the church of Satan and wanted to speak to Anton LaVey, who's in hell right now, and witness to him. And he was, he was confronted with his secretary, and she says, right now, you're going to have to book an appointment, Sarah. He says, I don't make appointments with the devil. I'll be back. That's right. That's right. That's the way you deal with it. By the way, he got to witness to him. This is a man who was called to India to plant a church. He raised up his support. And after the plane ticket and everything else, he was left with $10 in his pocket. Now, think back to the early, set, like around 1970. Just think around that time. So you could do, like, you could figure out, you know, what the value and what the money was worth, inflation, everything else. So when he got there, that $10, he didn't realize at the time, there was some kind of fee that he had to pay. So he was literally left without a penny in his pocket when he was there. He met the taxi. He met, met a taxi driver who was who drove him to his destination. And at that time, to get into India, you had to enroll in a school. You couldn't just come over as a missionary. You had to enroll in some education. So he went for one day, and quit that, and then went and planted his church and so on and so forth. But he met this taxi driver. And this taxi driver happened to be the owner of that taxi company. And he gave him, I guess, the equivalent of what was $500. Anyway, it was the equivalent of almost six months of living expenses. He gave that to, pass, uh, to Dr. Mossbacker. See, that is faith. That's what spoke to me. And there are many others. I mean, there's so, there's so many, there's so many uh, illustrations I can give. So in other words, my point there is when you're in Christ, it really doesn't matter. Age ha it's not about age. It's not about where you're from, what country you're from. That's one thing that we have in Jesus Christ. Just look at this congregation right now. You've got people from all different parts of the world right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got my brother here. But <laughs> see? see? He's got the beard too. Yeah, just a little bit. You need to gain a bit more I'm weight now. Trying, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, he's got a little bit more melanin than I am. I have to catch up there. Maybe I'll go out and get a suntan. Well, I can't now anymore. But, but <laughs> yeah, we love this gentleman, this dear brother. I tell you, what a what a blessing, hey. Yeah. Uh, that that this is a work of God. This man homeless on the street. Yeah. Listen to Luke preaching. That time, and you know what? He wanted to come to our church, visit, and he came and visited, and he stayed. And then, was it the second Sunday or first Sunday? It was probably two Sundays, I think. But then you, then that, that Sunday you got saved. And I, was, I, I literally preached, a, like in, within that message, a fire and brimstone message on hell. And he, go, he says, I need, I need this. We went out, and he, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He's not looked back. And eventually he's going to be out working. It's taking some time. See, when you get in that pit, it takes some time to get out of it. 
But in due time, you can see the Lord working. And, and, uh, and in the meantime, he's not been lazy. He's been doing things around here, if, you, if you've noticed. He fixed the toilet. We've had plumbers in here. He fixed it. The water pressure, he fixed that. Here, you could burn, you couldn't even, you're afraid to flush the toilet. I wasn't using it for that reason. We're, I know that you're laughing because I was feeling the same way. I don't want to use this toilet because if I flush it, first of all, it takes, you know, anyway, I'm not going to get there, but it takes too long. <laughs> you understand, right? <laughs> but you understand, like, then it's flushing and then you go to wash your hands. There's no water pressure there. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. See that? Well, you know what? Street preaching is not profitable. Well, it is right here. And here, too. Boom. Right? And Lord willing, I'd like, Lord willing, I'd like to see some ladies come in, too. But, you know, I think, you know, you know praise the Lord what, what's happened, like how the Lord has worked here. I'm really thankful for it. So the church was their extended family. We can even take this further for children who have been born into homes where their father was either a pastor or a missionary. You've got that godly heritage passed on from generation to generation. Elizabeth. Elizabeth's marriage to Zacharias would have complemented his ministry. Going from priest daughter to the wife of a priest, it would have complemented it. It's uncommon for women to, who have grown up in homes where their father was a pastor to marry a pastor themselves or a missionary. It's not uncommon. That does happen. It's not the rule of thumb, of course, but it does happen. Then marrying a preacher would have been the desire of their parents. Often it is. Because they're praying that their children would go into full-time ministry. By the way, I have to state this. That's another grief. I remember Pastor Schoenhardt telling me his prayer was that his children, his, his boys, would all grow up to be preachers. We're not necessarily talking about pastors, but preachers. There are men who, never, who will never become a pastor, but they can preach. They can preach. And there are good preachers. That's grieving. See, there's nothing wrong with praying for your children to be called to full-time ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. God gives you children. Why not pray for that? We don't know how long we have. We, we know that it's close, but we don't know if God will grant us a space. Right? And you have, to, you have to live that way. You have to think that way. Yes, uh, we're anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the same token, God can grant us a space. Amen. Right? So we don't change what we're doing based on the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ other than living for Him and having that greater burden and desire and sense of urgency to live for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, there's nothing wrong with setting such lofty spiritual goals and praying that God would meet those goals, especially when it comes to your children. Absolutely. Now, I understand there is a good chance my, 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 my boys or some of them won't be called. But they're called to serve God. And of course, I pray that God brings them the right wife. And of course, with Yell, if God 
grants us that space of time with the right husband. And this is why, again, when I mentioned about women going to Bible college, I'd rather her be trained to be a keeper at home. Now, this is the, doesn't discount the fact that you ladies need to study your Bibles. Absolutely not. You need to read, study, you name it. But I have more. I, my goal is that she's, she learns to be that keeper at home and look well to the ways of her household. So what Elizabeth was given and taught as a child was passed on to her son, John the Presbyterian. <laughs> you Baptists. John the Methodist, what is he called that? John the Anglican. What about John the Charismatic Preacher? <laughs> John the Pentecostal? Speaking in tongues? No, John the Baptist. I hate those, those modern versions that say John the Immerser. No, it's John the Baptist. That's what God called him. A godly mother is a righteous mother. In verse 6 of our text it says, They were both righteous, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They were both righteous. That is, Elizabeth and Zacharias were both righteous and blameless before the Lord. They were a great couple in God's sight. Both were righteous, and it was not just a show before man, but it was before God. <clears throat> the word blameless does not mean sinless perfection, but it indicates that they were both faithful. Their godliness was not just a Sabbath show. It was not just a church show. It was not just for the fellow saints to see. But it was all the time. They lived it. It was not hypocritical, but it was real. Now, not every marriage is made up of two who are righteous before God. No. We do have mixed marriages. We do have uh, marriages where perhaps the husband got saved while they were married, or vice versa. We do have those, but regardless of your spouse's spiritual condition or walk with God, it is your responsibility to be right with God yourself. And by the way, you can influence your spouse by the way you live. If your spouse is, un is unsaved, then all you can do is pray for them and be a witness to them. Now for the wives of unsaved husbands, make sure that you are living godly and righteously before your husbands while maintaining that ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. I can't stress that enough. Some women cross that line. And ladies, even though you're not married, some of you and, and, are, and are single, Always analyze yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror. Am I maintaining that ornament of a meek and quiet spirit? And by the way, that does not mean because I'm not loud and, uh, uh, and I'm a loud, loud mouth, leather lung Bertha and I'm, I'm not aggressive, you may actually compromise that meek and quiet spirit in very subtle ways. So I want you to look at that kind of a passive aggressiveness that you may possess. Look at it. Wives of unsaved husbands, don't badger your husbands. Don't hound them. Let God deal with them and let them see your godliness lived out. 
1 Peter 3, 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also without the word uh, be won by the conversation of the wives. And of course, conversation here is not speaking of rhetoric, it's speaking of lifestyle, godly living. But this is about the only place in the Bible where uh, godly, uh, sorry, uh, lifestyle evangelism is promoted. Where a wife is to take that back seat and let her husband see her godliness. And by the way, um, that a, a woman who is, who, is, who is living godly before an unsaved husband ought to be a woman of conviction. So that means church on Sunday, she's going to be there. Even when her husband gets angry and mad, she's going to be there. But in the meantime, she's not going to contend with him. She's going to possess that meek ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Ladies, there's a way of doing it. My wife, this, the church she got saved in, there's one lady there who would just keep on going to church. Her husband was unsaved, and he would forbid her. She would go. He would forbid her. Eventually, he had her at gunpoint. He got saved. Again, it is your responsibility to be right with God yourself. The Bible says in Romans 14 and verse 12, So then every one of us shall give an account of, God, of himself to God. Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Every one of us here. When all is said and done, Jacob, Elisha, Josiah are going to give an account to God. They're responsible to God. There comes that point. I mean, the parents are commanded to lead them in the way and train them up in the way they should go. But ultimately, you're going to give an account to God. And keep that in mind. Now, I'll give account to God of how, of how I father, uh, of, of what kind of a father I was to you. But nevertheless, you'll give an account to God for your own soul. Many times we can find ourselves focusing on our spouse's faults and deficiencies that we fail to see where the, that we fail rather to see where we ourselves are lacking spiritually. So in other words, beware of constantly uh, pointing out your, your spouses and focusing on your and your spouse's faults without noticing what's wrong with you, your own deficiencies, if you will. So we fail to, we fail to see where our, we ourselves are lacking spiritually. Often this can happen when you yourself are in a backslidden state or on your way to backsliding. That you become more critical and you focus on the faults of others. I think we're kind of in a very roundabout way. We are just discussing this uh, uh, that, in that break time there. See, this often results in blind spots because we have failed to remove the beam out of our own eye, eye rather, without focusing on the moat in our spouse's eye. Be careful. For the couples represented here, always do a mirror check first. All, I'm looking at you. Yeah. Do a mirror check first. And I'm not talking about looking how good your hair looks either when you look at that mirror or checking out that pimple that you hate. Or, or, you know, styling your beard or whatever. I'm talking about looking deep. Focus on your faults 
first before dealing with your spouses. Nothing, I'm not talking about, you know, backing off and not reproving and things like that. But focus on your own. See what, what's wrong with you before you deal with wrong with your spouses. By the way, you're not going to get along all the time. At the time, my wife and I, we, we, we have our moments of disagreement. Absolutely. Ladies, again, order of a meek and quiet spirit. Always analyze. And I'm speaking, obviously, I'm dealing with the ladies in this, with this, but always analyze where you're at. Am I crossing that line? And again, crossing that line is not being some loud, loud, you know, loud, leather-lunged Bertha, aggressive. I mean, that's, those are the, that's the women of the world. It's the women of some of our churches, too. <laughs> exactly. I see the roll eyes there. There's some women there that just, ooh, wow. You've probably seen many preacher's wives like that. I think Dr. Lamar used to say, oh, yeah, she would make a better preacher than her husband. <laughs> Doesn't mean she's called to it. Jesus said, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou clearly, see rather clearly, to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now needless to say, Elizabeth had a godly husband to help her spiritually. And they both wanted to please God. Luke 1, 6, and they were both righteous before God. The word righteous in this passage means equitable. It means innocent and holy. Now what is interesting to note is that they were not just righteous but they were righteous before God. Friends, dear friends here, it's not about looking the part in front of your fellow brethren, but actually living it before God. He sees everything. It's easy to put on your Sunday face, but how are you, how are you during the rest of the week? You can fool men, but you will never fool God. He sees it all, and you will see your hypocrisy if you are just merely playing church. You may fool other people because they are not with you 24-7, but you cannot fool God. My dear friends, we need to be real, and we need to be sincere. Keep it real. That's what I want this church to be, to keep it real. I don't want to be a faith way where you've got like uh, these... Uh, you know, I'm gonna wear, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have our favorite hockey team shirt, you know, the Habs versus the Leafs theme, or you know, we're gonna have a missions, uh, uh, youth missions uh, uh, show, whatever they're doing there, and you're literally having having people dressed up in the pagan garb of the countries like India, like that they support India, so they're gonna wear their pagan garb. We're we're going beyond cultural, by the way, culture here. By the way, not every culture is equal. So you need to analyze that culture, and if there are pagan elements of that culture, you don't adopt them. What do you call those shirts that you wear in the Philippines that you've gave to Pastor, that uh, Pastor Lamore? What is it called? That that. How do you call it? And they also have that in in South America too. Baron. 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 Ladies, don't laugh. <laughs> What's it? Barong Tagalog. Why is it called Tagalog? <laughs> Barong 
our national language? English. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing. Like it's one thing to wear that, but I'm talking about wearing like like certain garbs where it's very it's very clear that it's used in pagan uh, celebrations or or rituals, or has a dragon on it or something like that. You're gonna bring that into the church? What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but still, you know, it's. I don't know that's that's where I stand. I, I I'm very I'm very against syncretism of all kinds. Keep going there to safety, but not to. Yeah, exactly, oh. exactly. Continue on here. Elizabeth was a godly woman. God saw her, or God saw her when she was alone. Yeah, He sees us when we're alone. He knows if we are living godly or not living for Him or not. He knows what our priorities are. You can't fool God. God saw Elizabeth when she was alone. He saw her thoughts as well as her actions. He knew her motives, attitudes, and her desires. God knows it all. He knows yours. Friends, when you're confronted with the truth, if you're not acting upon it, there's a spiritual problem there. There's a hindrance there. You need to ask yourself, why? Why? In God's eyes, she was a righteous woman. That righteousness was not just something she put on when she was out in public. It was not just a facade for others to see. It was her life. It was her desire. As, righteous, as a righteous woman before God, she wanted to continually please Him at all times. By the way, we can extend this to the men. Do you want to please God or please men? I've dealt with this with standards, by the way. Some preachers downplay standards. The way you dress, the jewelry you wear, the way you keep your hair. If it's in the Bible, you need to act upon it. Absolutely. And if not, there might be a fundamental problem there, a spiritual problem. What is keeping you? There's an element of rebellion there. What is causing you to rebel? You know, when I said there's a subtle spirit of feminism in the church, I need you to analyze that. I need you to think about more deeply. Indeed. Elizabeth was a righteous woman before God and she wanted to please Him at all times. I hope this is your desire. It ought to be the desire of every soul in this room. So my question to you is, are you righteous before God? I understand the doctrine of imputed righteousness. Are you righteous before God? Are you living the consecrated life for the Lord? Are you? I'm talking to the Christians here. I'm talking to those who are born again. Are you separate from this world and all that it has to offer? Do you desire to separate from this world? Are you attached to it? Are you affection set on the heavenly, heavenly rather than the earthly? Heavenly things rather than the earthly things? Are you striving to be holy as God is holy? First Peter, but he, as he which hath called you to be, which, which hath called you is holy, that's God being holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Again, not speaking of rhetoric. Your lifestyle, how you live, what you wear even. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I don't believe in this antinomian nonsense. And that's not lordship salvation. No, it's not. I understand we have that old nature. I understand it can rear its ugly head. I understand the times we're going to sin. 
but you must strive to be holy as God is holy. That ain't a popular message. Sadly, there are many Christians who say that it does not matter what is on the outside, but rather what is on the inside that counts. On the surface, this may sound noble, but when pondered more deeply, it really is a compromised stance. It's the stance of the new evangelical. It's a compromised stance. Because what is often on the inside will manifest itself on the outside. If you're a Christian woman wearing slacks and you know it's wrong after being presented with the truth, and even the philosophy behind that truth, which is antithetical to biblical womanhood, and you still dig your, your, your heels in, then what's on the inside is now manifesting itself on the outside. And there's a hard problem. See, the outside is just a mirror of what is going on in the inside. The desires of your heart will manifest themselves on the outside. Those who dress worldly dress that way because of a heart that desires to please the world rather than God. You're living for, for what other men think than what God thinks. You see, if the inside is clean, the outside will be too. If the inside is holy, the outside will be too. That's how it works. Righteous works are the tree grown of roots from a righteous heart. A righteous heart will bear righteous fruit. It will. Yeah. Now there's one preacher. Now we, we both been talking about this individual who put out a reel. He's a Baptist preacher. And he often says things, you know, he, well, first of all, if there's a preacher who stands for these standards, he has a way of attacking these preachers very subtly. Uh, he'll say things, you know what? You may have strong convictions, but are you expecting others or forcing others to hold to your convictions and things like that? Or you know what? She may wear loose pants and slacks. She may not hold to your standards. They go, oh, you'll say, no, this is what you say. I'm all for standards. Yo, that woman may hold to slacks, but she may be praised more than you. And things like that. No. So that's, what does that mean, that we don't preach standards? By the way, obviously standards is not the way you dress. It goes beyond that. Standards in the King James Bible. I mean, there's so many standards. Standards within the church itself. Elizabeth bore John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. She was a chosen vessel of God to bear the one who is the prophesied forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 40 and verse 3 says this, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight uh, in the desert a, way, a highway for our God. Malachi 3 and verse 1, the first part of that verse says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now you see, John the Baptist was born six months prior to our Lord Jesus Christ to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke 1 and verse 17. So this begs the question, why would such a special child be born unto Elizabeth? 
Why? Well, the answer may simply be that she herself was special and that she was righteous before God. She was in right standing with Him. She was in a position where she could be used as a chosen vessel uh, of God to bear John the Baptist, a man of God, for God's plan, or God's perfect plan, prophetic plan. And obviously that was to, pre uh, to prepare the way of the Messiah. So mothers and mothers-to-be, you never know what kind of child or children God will raise up due to your godly, righteous living. You, will, you never know if one day they may become pastors or missionaries who will be mightily used of God. You just never know. So we must keep in mind that all of us are tools to be used for His glory. All of us here. Ladies, as Christian mothers... You are chosen vessels to rear children for God and for His glory. If He grants you children, you are. Yeah. The Bible teaches us, or teaches rather, that we as Christians should be instruments of righteousness. This is what Romans 6 and verse 23 says. Let not sin therefore, or verse 12 rather says, 6 and 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Ladies, but this also goes for gentlemen too, your righteous influence is more than just valuable. It is an absolute necessity since you are a tool in your child's life for righteousness or unrighteousness. Both ways. It all depends on which direction you are walking. It's up to you to choose what type of tool you will be by how you yield yourselves to God. Will you choose to be like the godly women we covered thus far? Will you? There are many examples in the Bible. You see, Elizabeth was yielded to God because she had a desire to live righteously. It was because of her, it was, it was because of her righteousness, rather. Her righteousness before the Lord was not because of the family she was born into, although that definitely played a part, nor was it due to who she was married to. It was because she had an innate desire to please God. Elizabeth was a righteous woman. Her righteousness was displayed for others to see by her walking in the commandments of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. She walked in the commandments of the Lord blameless. So my question to you is, are you walking in the commandments of the Lord? I'm talking to the saints here. If you're not a saint, you know what the command is? You must be born again. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, repent ye and believe the gospel. You must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But to the saints, are you walking in the commandments of the Lord? Are you? You know what Jesus said? If you love me, keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love Jesus Christ? Get that mirror out. You need to look into it. Do you have a desire to keep the commandments? Are you keeping them? Are you walking in the commandments of the Lord? You realize I'm talking about the sanctified life here. Are you walking in the commandments of the Lord? Do you have a desire to obey God? Or are you saying to yourself, you know what? Although I'm confronted with the truth, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. No, be ready, because the Bible says it. Otherwise, you're in rebellion. 
Elizabeth was a righteous woman before the Lord. No, she was righteous. Why was she righteous? She was righteous because she walked with God continually. Walked with God continually. We must know that a righteous mother is more apt to produce righteous children. This is never a guarantee, of course. We have often heard the expression, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. It doesn't. Though there are prodigal sons and individual responsibility, the rule of thumb is that most children follow their parents' footsteps. Elizabeth walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Ladies, you ought to strive to be as Elizabeth and seek to continually walk in the commandments of the Lord. Same thing with the gentleman, by the way. So my question to you is, how is your walk with the Lord? You know what the Bible says, or you know what the Bible says here in Colossians 2 and verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Are you walking in Him right now? Examine yourselves. You see, the Christian life is characterized as a walk. As a walk. We often don't run through the Christian life. It's a walk. It's a steady walk. It's a, there are going to be peaks and valleys in that walk. Often valleys. You know why? Because God can use you then. Walking is a habit of life. It means to travel or go forth. With regards to Elizabeth, she was continually going forward spiritually. The scripture tells us that she was well stricken in years. In other words, she was old. But even in her old age, she wanted to be closer to the Lord and obey His word. This was obviously her desire. So my dear brethren, righteous mothers are walking mothers. Righteous fathers are walking fathers. Righteous saints are walking saints. And you're walking in the right direction. You know, the Bible says Jesus uh, says uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way. You better be walking in the way. You better be walking in that narrow way. Our Christian faith is narrow. I am grieved by Baptist preachers who want to broaden the narrow way. And I'm not talking about the gospel here. I'm talking about the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Shame on them. They have a walk with God and for God. You have a walk with God and for God. Their Christianity is a habit of life. They are consistent when it comes to waking up early to pray and to read their Bibles and they do their daily devotions. There's a consistency there. They will always give God their first fruits of their day and they will always give Him the first fruits of their time, talents, and treasure. Are you? You see, righteous mothers produce righteous children by consi living consistently righteous lives. That is generally the pattern and it is not impossible nor it is undesirable. The closer you get to God, the more enjoyable and joy-filled your Christian life will be. Even through trials, by the way, your life should be joy-filled. Even in the depths of the valley, your life should be joy-filled. So my dear friends, we must continually possess that desire to draw nigh to God as James commands. In James 4 and verse 8, this is what he says, draw, it's a command by the way, an imperative, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. 
Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Double so many double-minded men, so many double-minded Christians out there. So Elizabeth was righteous because she walked continually. She was righteous because she walked completely. Her walk was a complete walk. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. In all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. It was a complete walk. I want us to note that Elizabeth walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Now walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord is not speaking of sinless perfection. For there is only one who can make that claim. And that is our, that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is speaking of Elizabeth's desire to obey all of God's commands. That's what it's speaking of. And this is what she strove to do. And my dear brethren, we ought to possess that same desire. When you're confronted with the truth, act upon it. Don't dig your heels in. Act upon it. Because if you dig your heels in or you neglect it, your, your walk is going to be severely hindered. I'm convinced this is why some of you are not serving God the way you ought to be serving God. You're too concerned with the concerns of this world. We need to be setting our affections on heavenly things. I know we need to earn a living. I know it's tight. I know it's expensive. But that's no excuse. See, though all of us struggle with different temptations in life, God has promised us that He would make a way to escape that ye be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Ladies, you must keep in mind that it is hypocritical to tell your children, obey me, save for the gentleman, when you yourselves are not submitting to your husband. Ladies. Now, I'm, I preach in that direction, brother. I'm not making a statement there. Oh, I could be. You never know. Absolutely. It is hypocritical to tell your children to read the Bible when you yourselves aren't reading the Bible. It's, you need to be honest with yourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves because we don't want our children to later view us as hypocrites. A righteous mother will strive to obey every command. You may stumble and fall at times because of that old, rotten, fleshly nature. It will reel its ugly head from time to time, but you just got to get up and press on. Get right with God and press on. Ladies and gentlemen, don't give up. If you fall, get back up and press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, as the scripture says, Philippians 3.14. Though we stumble and fall, we must strive for perfection. I'm speaking of the consecrated, sanctified life, the matured life in Christ. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5 and verse 48. The word perfect in this verse means complete. Complete. God wants and desires for you to be a complete Christian. Mothers, God wants and desires for you to be a complete mother. How many mothers have failed? How many fathers have failed? You see, Elizabeth was perfectly complete because she strove to walk in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. A righteous mother desires to obey the Bible. 
She may fall short, but she still uh, desires to obey. So Elizabeth was righteous because she walked continually. She walked completely. And because she walked correctly. And they were both righteous before the Lord, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord. Blameless. Blameless. The word blameless in our text describes how Elizabeth walked in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. We can define blameless here as irreproachable, faultless, or unblameable. 2 Peter 3 and verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Walking shows her manner. Blameless shows us how others saw her manner. Saw her. In other words, other people saw that Elizabeth was a godly woman because she not only talked the talk, but she walked the walk. We may think it doesn't matter what others think, and it doesn't as far as we are concerned, but it does matter where others are concerned. Do they see Jesus Christ in you? When you walk into work, they say, you know what, that man is a Christian. There's something different about him. There's something different about her. See, our works don't justify us, but they prove our faith. And James burns us out in his epistle. Now, I'd like us to turn there. How long am I into this message? I hope. I might have to speed up here. James 2. Bible says this, if a, James 2 verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what is the profit? Even so, if, it, if even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone? Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now we're going to move down here to verse 26, just for sake of time. So for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. By the way, verse 24 says, You see how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only? By the way, this justification is before men, not God, men. It speaks of your walk. Are they seeing your walk? Even Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A righteous mother influences more than just her children. She influences everyone she comes in contact with. We must know that God wants every Christian to be blameless and without reproach. Every Christian. You don't want to be found a castaway when all is said and done. Now listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 26 and 27. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Brethren, we must be blameless. We must seek to be blameless. Philippians 2 verses 14 and 15 says this, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless 
and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. 2 Peter 3 and verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. My dear friends, a blameless walk is the blessed good fruit of a righteous life. It's a fruit of righteousness that has been imputed on you and you living in that righteousness. So this does not apply to mothers. This message does not apply to mothers only, but all Christians as well. We may we all, my dear brethren, seek to be like Elizabeth, who was a godly, righteous woman. This ought to be our goal. Now I'm going to close with this verse, Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation that appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should how? This is totally how we should live. Live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. May you strive to be righteous and live righteously as Elizabeth was righteous. Heavenly Father, we give thee thanks for the blessing of thy word. I trust it was a blessing to thy people here today. I ask, Father, that thou wouldst bless the food and fellowship, bless the hands that prepared it. In Jesus' precious and holy and righteous name I pray. Amen.